Hi, this is Better Red Than Dead, a literature podcast from the left perspective. I'm Megan. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. And today we are going to be talking about Dune, Frank Herbert's 1965 novel about doing drugs and writing worms. That is (laughs) not a euphemism, unfortunately. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, Katie, why Dune? Why have I inflicted Dune upon you? Well, it's very simple, you see. You have to read the book that is Catholic Buddhists versus Muslim Jews who become friends <laughs> in the end. Yeah. They bond over some worms. And so with that premise, it's sort of unbeatable and had to be read. <laughs> Dune to me is also a – it's perfectly everything I want. It is incredibly stupid, but it's also memorably fun and – deeply bleak and depressing somehow also you can get the entire span of human emotion (laughs) by reading dune even if some of that emotion is because you're annoyed at the book right so that's my main pitch for it (laughs) my first encounter with it was when i was just way 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 too old to be reading dune there was no reason that a grown woman in her 30s should be reading dune <laughs> i thought you were gonna say like 20 <laughs> you in know my, you knew better yeah i, I knew better I, cho- I chose this life i took this path fully aware of what was going on but it is a great reprieve if you're going through it crack dune open just crack it open you'll feel better i could promise you that and it's nice to return to it now because is better the second time around it's because you guys yes i know you mock me but it's true (laughs) it's better because when you read it the first time nothing's making that much sense at all Partially because important plot details are given to you about a chapter after you first are introduced to them and then have forgotten about the first time you heard about it. But (laughs) anyway, for the past month or so, what I've been doing in preparation for this is LARPing as a hard Dune nerd. (laughs) And it's been a real ass time. I bet that's a type. Like, I bet that's a real community. I bet if you went to Comic-Con, you could still see, like, Dune guys, right? (laughs) Surely. Yeah. Now more now more than ever. Right? You There's can see Dune guys. New movie coming out, right? The much anticipated movie is coming out in December, finally, I think. Right. But I'll say this. For anyone who doesn't want to know more about Dune, sh- shut your ears and eyes and all your other orifices. <laughs> so what people say is that the first Dune book, it's great. And then there's five more. And you could skip those. But that's wrong. You can't <laughs> skip those. <laughs> You have to read them all because the reason why people don't like the second book a lot of the time is because it does pick up after the first book and we'll get into this. But our quote unquote hero, non-hero of Dune has now just like killed everyone. He's also being a giant bitch as he does it. Right. So people don't people don't love that. But it's so <laughs> nutty. The rest of the books are so nutty and we'll get into more of this later. But I think that they are, I think they're essential reading if you're having a time. <laughs> I also think that while it's a nuts book, a lot of the observations that Herbert makes are actually like not wrong that 
partially that oppression is not a unintended spillover effect, but is actually a strategic and essential part of capital extraction, even when it's giant worm fungus that we're talking <laughs> about here. And I do like the fact that the the family, the Atreides family, all they, they do a bunch of good guy shit. Like they're supposed to be good, nice, nice, good, goody, good, nice guys. But they there is some care taken to narrate the fact that the reasons that they're doing it aren't just to be nice and cool. It's okay. so they can get people to do shit for them. But most importantly, in, in conclusion, drugs, space, and religion. It's everything I like. <laughs> and it's even better when it's smushed into one insane book. Right. This is this is going to sound very weird. I actually think my problem with Frank Herbert is is the same thing as my problem with Mike Judge in that like libertarianism gets in the way of like smart things that they could say, right? Like you know. So, anyway, so we'll talk a lot about that. <laughs> yes. So, like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Well, like both of you, like you, <laughs> I. I I read this whole book and I could have been watching 90 Day Fiance and <laughs> the people in that are monsters but I read this instead and this book is actually worse than I thought it would be and I was warned that it is like long and stupid and because I was like I'm saying worms let's write them that sounds good but it actually is like some ridiculous Jungian pseudo mysticism and like what the fuck is that the 60s man that's what the fuck yeah, yeah that's like the 60s for sure it just Brown. feels like the 80s because of the movie right yeah but that's your bad <laughs> well, it's also like every edition of the book you know like it just looks like that i didn't know that this was like that l ron hubbard was sure onto something i'm gonna do my own weirdo space <laughs> religion no, i i think you actually need to read an l ron hubbard sci-fi novel <laughs> before you compare and i'll, I'll let they it be known quite that, bad <laughs> that uh frank herbert never pushed an old woman off a ship as has happened in <laughs> <That's> true, true. <laughs> it's true. uh well it's it's inspirational nonetheless <laughs> i mean like i like genre fiction especially because like i don't know anything about it and so i like talking about it but like i was not prepared for the whole like oh there's like a seer there's like five seers and an order of spooky nuns and like <laughs> 35 fucking prophecies i'm supposed to keep track of them by the way and like i guess with a pen and paper because this was written before the internet and so i can't like track them I had. I am responsible for well, remembering this. Well, that I'm, is. A, there's like what, three of them. There's like, <clears throat> and they're all the same one. Actually, just said different ways. That, that, that's what. That's what the hundred pages of appendices is for, which yeah. is always a good sign when you pick up a book. It's like, I'm, oh, there's more to read after I'm done reading. <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. I'm. I'm not buying this. I'm not buying this from you with after after Ulysses. I'm not buying that you can't keep track of the spacecrafties. I, I don't believe it. <laughs> I mean, but um, no. If I never read about another prophecy, it is going to be like 12 billion years too soon. I'm just over them. I'm over prophecies. I'm over teenage dukes and, <laughs> and their problems that are not problems. I'm over like 
Is this the creepiest kid we've ever seen? We've seen creepy kids all over since we yeah. started recording. And the kid, the the Alia is like so obscenely yeah. oh creepy. Alia in the Lynch film too, like deeply terrifying. Um, but remember any creepy kid must compete with like Beth March though, right? Yes. <laughs> also the kids in um Queen. Return of the Screw, which like we yes. decided were not actually creepy at all. It was just yeah. like <laughs> Yeah, they were misread. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And because like, and then I felt a little better reading it because I was like, I'm going to pretend I'm in Beetlejuice, which is like good. And I was like, is this movie, is that movie like stealing it or satirizing it? Because they're called sandworms. Like it's pretty clearly taking that idea and running with it. And in general, like the sandworm bits in that movie are very good and funny. So like watch, just watch that movie because this book should be in jail. And... That's my final point on it. <laughs> You've become radicalized in a way that just quite. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm taking a stand. So I, I uh, read Dune at the appropriate age. I was 12, uh, and, and, and at the time, I, I thought it was it was very fine literature. Uh, you know, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's got to clear 500 pages. Yes, it, it many hundred. Yes, by by several hundred pages, it does. Uh, so it's long. It's about space and drugs. And I was, and, and I am a big dork. So I was very happy when I was a kid. Yeah, and I have fond memories of playing the first Dune PC game on our circa nineteen ninety one IBM. <laughs> was it on floppy? Oh yeah, it was on floppy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I was like, I remember those games. I'm not being a dick. Yeah, yeah. The the very mod uh, three and a half inch rather than the five and a quarter inch. Like the, Ooh, the, those yeah. aren't going to get busted in your backpack. Case. <laughs> not at all. And yeah, I I love. I still love the glorious disaster that is the 1984 David Lynch movie. Which I mean, come on, Kyle McLaughlin, LMFAO, right? Like hi, De- hi. Dean St- Stockwell, the Quantum Leap guy, Sting for it explicable reasons and sir patrick stewart as gurney halleck uh even yes like a few years before he would be uh before he would be jlp um but uh yeah like and so i've been intrigued to revisit it but also very reluctant to revisit it reluctant because i sort of suspected it would not be very fine literature on a second middle-aged pinko lit prof read Uh, uh, good instinct good instincts Sadly, uh, sadly, but also a tree because like, yeah, even when I was a kid, I remembered it being politically a mess and literature and politics is pretty much my bag. Yeah. And it is that right. It definitely is that I think doing annoys me precisely at this, you know, is what I was just saying about Mike judge, right? It has a lot of really cool ideas and I wish it were written by one, a commie rather than a libertarian crag and two, someone who could, you know, um, write. excuse me narrating people's feelings and perceptions as soon as they happen is excellent writing and also 800 pages of grinding exposition yeah as i was taking notes i i tried a little writing in the style of frank herbert and and what i came up with was like dr ua entered the room that was yellow and had doors and a wall and he thought i am so sad i must betray these people for i am the betrayer <laughs> of the novel paul and said ah dr wellington would never betray us my witch mother whose hair is red <laughs> Don't, you know, it's, yeah it's the dumbest thing <laughs> but, i mourn my lovely wife and so i must betray <laughs> yes yes exactly 
if Ursula Le Guin or Ken Stanley Robinson had written this, it would own, absolutely. Instead, we have a wildly incoherent, very fun mess that, although not fash, despite what dumbass fash shitheads believe, is still, I think, a fairly right wing in its critique of fash tendencies. But hey, there's still so much cool shit. I love the long human history of the future it plays with. The ecology stuff is fascinating and could be so much more prominent. You know, it's in a decade. The 60s were a very utopian sci-fi decade, like Star Trek, as it gets its start in the 60s. And it is kind of striking and, and weird that Dune is like so the opposite of that, just like extremely pessimistic about human society on a grand scale. And last point, as an 18th century person, I love that we are playing with a future in which the East India Company rules space. How dank is that? <laughs> they they for sure do though. Like that's yeah. amazing. The Chud. Corporation, the, the, the Chode Company, the Chode Company, which every time the I had to Corporation, read. Chode, yeah, yeah, Chode, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So today we are talking uh, this this category of like the con- consciousness, race consciousness, is what they sometimes call it. Politics and the environment, and how do religion in this book? What do it? And what do? And who is? So, Katie, tell us what happens. Gird my loins. And everyone else should, too. Girded. Because <laughs> we're about to go take a little trip through the Duneverse. <laughs> oh, I won't say that again on this podcast, but I had to once. So I think you're events- a liar, and it's going to come up a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> it's very possible. So, we are taking a fun little journey. 20,000 years into the future for the events of Dune. Don't ask me about the math. It has to do with canon-related calculations that I can't get into (laughs) on this show. But Even though we, as a human species, have barely been this for 20,000 years. Yeah, 20,000 years in the past, it it was time to wipe our asses with leaves and develop language. but I sorry to like interrupt like immediately. I but I love that though, right? Because like most sci-fi, like so actually, I mean, one thing that like, Katie, you and I talked about back with well, the the time machine episode was how how crazy it was that Wells is like eight hundred thousand years in the future. Most sci-fi like does stay fairly like within a few centuries. I think there is a lot of possibility there. Like, hey, let's double all of the history of human society and see where that winds up. You know. I yeah, also just think like nuts. Comrade Wells can do no wrong. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, I mean, exactly. <laughs> yeah. but, Sorry, HG. But there's a reason to double civil, like, I don't know, however we want to call that, like language or whatever, like the criterion of humankind, right? There's a reason to just like double it. It also drives home the point that at, that what we conceive of is so tiny. Right. And I don't think that's a terribly amazing insight on my part but it is cool to think about so like the dune the dune books the six dune books are five are five thousand years of his or of five thousand years quote unquote so like okay yeah so he's doing something intentional with the scale like the whole Mm -hmm. time right right i think the effect is sort of cool and we can we can chat more about it too but are you ready to strap into your spaceship with the Holtzman engines so we can fold space and time and travel? And go Certainly the du- into my uh, water saving suit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that smells awesome. <laughs> yep, yep. Get into your good smelling still suit and shove the tube up your nose. Yep. Zipper it because we're going on an adventure to 20,000 years in the future, as I said. But 
to figure to sort of figure out what's going on, what you need to know is that 10,000 years before that, people decided that everyone was looking at their dang iPhones too much and they destroyed all thinking machines, quote unquote. So like robots, AI, anyone who picked up um a uh, Rubik's cube that looked like it might have something <laughs> might have a thought. <laughs> and that what is referred to in the book as the Butlerian Jihad. And I can tell you about the Butlerian Jihad, but who, who has the time? <laughs> but, but anyway, in a society where you cannot play Candy Crush, you can achieve galaxy brain. <laughs> and that's when we sort of get to what's going on in Dune more directly in the background. So everyone was able to kill all the robots and throw the controller across the room because you have this thing, the spice, the geriatric spice, spice melange. It's a psychedelic plot device that gets you <laughs> balls high. Yeah. And it allows some people to see into the future and do other I can't stress this in a vital plot shit. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's there for. Yeah. 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 So if you marinate in a vat of it, you become a guild navigator. And those are the ways or Google Maps of outer space. They're the ones who, without computers, how are we going to not bump into planets and junk? Yeah. They're how you do it. It's all the spice. So basically, uh, I was reading Spice as a combination of LSD and speed and probably a few other drugs as well, right? Just shrooms. <laughs> it heightens. Just- the, yeah, it lets you see shit, but it also like keeps you going. Yeah. They, well, yeah, right. No, I mean, there actually is speed in this book. Like the dude yeah. keeps popping. Like, he's like, I haven't slept in for five days. You know? like, uh, uh, <laughs> They're drinking yeah. coffee still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for whatever reason. But okay, so we've got we have the guild navigators, and we have the mentats, which are the the Mensa members of this <laughs> universe. They're guys who are like computers. They're just computer guys. They're, it's just Mr. Computer Man. Yeah. We also have the Benny Gesserit. They're a secret society of wine mom superhumans who <laughs> Do a lot of drugs, go to a secret Harry Potter school, and they do the the weirding combat style, which is like Krav Maga in the Matrix. <laughs> and yeah. they've they've been doing a, a centuries long human quote unquote breeding program, which is bleh, to make a dude who's even more awesome than any of the lady Benny Gesserit, yeah. because they have some limitations. They're ladies. <laughs> this guy, this guy is going to be the Quisatz Haderach. It's it, it means it doesn't. It's a made up word. It means uh, one who can be in many places at once, and he can see into the past of all of humankind, and also can see sort of possible futures revealed on forty seven different occasions in different yes, forms. Yeah, yeah, that we yeah. have this prophecy, and they're like, "Is he the one?" And then it keeps happening. Yeah. Yes. 
and it's interesting it's interesting why it keeps happening i think we'll talk about yeah, this too definitely it's sorry can i because i don't i actually don't think that this uh will spend much more time with this specific point but i just wanted to say like another thing i do find really interesting about this world is the lack of computers and i also like one reason i'm interested in that is it sort of historicizes itself in a way that i feel like envisioning that in the early 1960s is probably quite different. If you think of uh, how computers were represented in the 60s, like Spock has this, like he looks into a microscope to like talk to the ship's computer. Like it's just, it's nowhere near as kind of ubiquitous a part of society. It just feels wild to imagine humanity kind of like casting off that aspect of its sort of like technological imbrication than maybe it did in the 60s. But even in the 60s, that's that's kind of crazy. Like we don't need computers, man. We just need drugs. Well, I think it's like also trying to like go around one of the most dominant SF questions, which is like robots or like yes, the mechanical, yeah, yeah. No. right? So it's trying to like sidestep that entirely, I think, at least yeah, in part. N- yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. And, and, and ro- like, yeah, I mean, robots were, da- I mean, that actually absolutely was a, was an established sort of like sci-fi worry, um, sort of interest in, at that, at that point. So, but yeah. Yeah. It's anyway. one of the things that makes it, it is highly, it's highly original. You can see you can't deny that's, that. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So okay, we have the cool the cool guy who does the cool things. It's not actually, but we now so now let's get into the actual plot that picks up where the film seven ends with someone screaming, <laughs> "What's in the box?" <laughs> oh, and this time, what's in the box is actually nothing but. Young Paul Atreides, the uh, whose dad is a duke, as as we've mentioned, has this psycho old Benny Gesserit, uh, reverend mother who comes back a bunch and it's nuts. Um, but she puts his, she makes him puts his hand in the box and puts a gom jabbar next to his neck and is like, "If you take your fucking hands out of the box, I'm stabbing you with my needle." Fourteen year old child, <laughs> yeah. and it gives him a big huge ouchie. Yeah. Which is a test of whether he might be the Kwisatz Haderach or a metaphor about the dangers of finger blasting or both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think both is good. Paul's mom is Benny Gesserit, the Lady Jessica, who is not married to his dad. That comes up a lot. She's yes. the quote unquote royal concubine. And they, the, the Atreides family are enemies with the Harkonnen family who these are the major houses of the of the galactic empire and they're all fighting each other and doing a bunch of shit and we know they're the good guys really only because he tells us that they are like the the sort of like moral orders are not actually like made well, I mean, it, except like we do get that the Harkonnens, like they engage in blood sport and shit like that, right? That it, it's it, there, there is, a, but yes, like I, well, particularly once Paul like <laughs> becomes yeah. the sort of genocidal maniac, and yes, I think those distinctions really do break down, but yeah, yeah. They are quote unquote good in a way that engenders loyalty to them which is actually sort of bad because in frank herbert's view at least mm-hmm. because then things get way out of control when right when it becomes clear that people aren't be they're not being nice to you for their health it's right. for other reasons involving spice and money <laughs> but anyway uh we have the harkonnens they are supposed to be more evil than many of the evil guys in this 
And the thing you got to know about uh, Baron Harkonnen is that he is the most evil fat guy to ever be evil and fat and running things. Frank Herbert really harps on this. His room's a mess. He loves to fuck boys and kill slaves. And he has to be carried around basically on a cloud because uh, as as we've heard, folks, um, he's fat like a baby. Fat like a fat guy. I don't know how to explain the level of nutsoness that this book achieves on that front. Yeah, it's yeah, really uh, committed to fat guy, bad guy. Yeah, yes, and and I like. <laughs> so I don't know if this is like a mark for or against David Lynch because David Lynch is like I I don't think it's like the, the the fat is not signaling this enough. Which yeah, I mean right, that's psychotic, right? <laughs> to be like oh that he like fat means that he's a bad guy. So Lynch is like you know what we'll do? We'll also give him disgusting boils all over his face. That like that'll really hammer it. Home. Oh lovely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we have to like uh, impose some kind of like physical well, right yeah like this is the return to physiology right? it's like it's like you can tell that the atreides are good because they are very svelte and do not have disgusting boils all over their face and the heart <laughs> they've had bad. plenty of water so they have like their skin yes. looks gorgeous because yeah. they're well hydrated, <laughs> hydrated yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, they have a skincare routine and they do it morning and night religiously yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so back to the Baron Harkonnen. He has two dumb nephews because, of course, he does. <laughs> like, why does. wouldn't he? Yeah. And he's trying to play the dumb nephews off against one another for control of the planet Arrakis, which is where the that's do- otherwise known as Dune, where all the spice comes from. And his ultimate goal is first to control the spice production by controlling Aragus and getting rid of Duke Leto, who's been given the planet. But what happens is then later he's like, no, I actually want my dumbass nephew to be emperor of the universe. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so again, cr- vital to all of these plots are getting rid of the Atreides, which first involves blackmailing the doctor Wellington Yui, who is supposed to be imperially conditioned he has a tattoo on his fucking forehead that is supposed to be the mark of his like i can never do bad stuff (laughs) but but it turns out that he's being blackmailed uh his wife his benny jesuit wife wana he doesn't know what happened to her and he wants to make sure that she's dead so he goes along with this plot to betray the atreides and then they're like yeah, he he is like we, he'll be known as Yui the betrayer, and then in the um, fake history that appears at the beginning of the chapter, like he was the betrayingest betrayer, yeah, whoever betrayed <laughs> yeah, anyone. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. The first time we meet is like Doctor Wellington. Shall Yui, I the, betray my friend the Atreides? Yeah, yeah. I will forever be known as the betrayer, yeah. and then it's borne out in the next chapter. Yeah. He like, was the betrayer. I'm sorry, a creative writing professor would fail this book, right? Oh, it's like, if you need to know, show, don't tell. It's like, it's like, please see me at office hours. We need to talk about exposition and how not to do that. You know? <laughs> For 700 pages. Yeah. It? yeah, you could have, you could have a 300 page Dune, but that's not what I want. Um, I want all of it. I want every last, every last bit of it. In any event, the Harkonnens do their big siege on the Atreides, and they capture the Duke, Paul's dad, Duke Leto. But Yui does this at-home dentistry when they have him captured, and he's like, listen, you're going to die. That's a given. 
but Paul and Jessica will live. And all you have to do is blow poison from this tooth into everyone's face. You okay, it's kind of cool. Tooth. I have to yeah, say, like, that, that scene, dope, yeah. I remember. And I remember it really vividly. Yeah. It is cool. What's funny is that he's, like, he's, they, he's like drugged. And they're, like, he's, like, the tooth. You got to remember the fucking tooth, man. It's all about the tooth. <laughs> yep. Just know the tooth. Yeah. He does the tooth thing. He doesn't kill the Baron, but he kills his psycho his psychomentad who um is I won't get into the history of these they're, they're like they come from a special planet where they do psycho shit to the mentads <laughs> to make them to make them um be able to be evil. <laughs> so anyway. Um I like so, that most of the planets of this are just like characterized by one activity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the dump truck planet. That's the prison planet. Yeah, exactly. That's the flower planet. That's uh, the dead people planet. You know, it's, it's, it's hyper. It's hyper specialization. You know, but, yeah. yeah. We're back in the 18th uh, century. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we went from the water planet to the desert planet. Yeah. So the Duke is dead, and Jessica and Paul escape into the desert of Arrakis, and they meet up with the Fremen, who are a... But everybody thinks they're dead, right? So, like, they deliberately plan this, so it seems like their helicopter has gone down. Uh, yes. So the Baron doesn't want to have... Pl- he wants to have plausible deniability, so he's he t- he like sends his. This is actually really fucking funny. He sends a bunch of his like his best guys. He sends his best guys out, <laughs> and Doctor Yui has like done a bunch of shit to the helicopter so that Paul and Jessica can kind of escape and overpower them. And the way they finally best them is that Paul <laughs> kicks a guy so hard <laughs> that. He kicks him in the heart. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, he very does Billy Bud. Yeah, yep. yeah, very Billy Bud meets Mortal Kombat. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, he kicks him in the right ventricle. Uh, like he's <clears throat> so fucking funny. Uh, I, 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 I have to. It's 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 actually an ornithopter, not a helicopter, because it does it it fly. This like is a birdie. Yes, it, it's like, yeah. Yeah, it fl- it's like a Da Vinci machine. It flaps its wings to fly. <laughs> like, I can't say the word thopter. Yeah. Like I just, yeah, yeah. you know, like the words in this book are like, yeah, I know, I know. It, it's hard. Li- more than a little much, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of vocabulary to learn. Yeah. They do their <laughs> Billy Bud Mortal Kombat escape and they meet up with the Fremen and first they're like going to fight them because the Fremen are b- kind of a huge underground society that knows how to live on a desert planet. And the, the galactic census doesn't, t- doesn't take, uh, take account of them. <laughs> so because they're bribing everybody with spice, they control the spice production. They know, they not only know how to live on a desert planet, but they're also like hoarding vast amounts of water and they mainline spice all damn day, ride on huge worms that make the spice, and uh, do honorable combat and yeah. such also. And have extremely blue eyes, which is how you know someone is a hardcore spice addict. Yep, that's what happens when you do when you do a buttload of spice, your eyes turn your eyes turn totally blue. Yeah, so include- like the crazy the crazy mentat yeah. was also has them. Yeah. 
because he had some tastes and <laughs> <laughs> but the spice is just in it. Yeah, it's in everything that the Fremen eat or drink. They have been kind of uh, prepared by the Bene Gesserit Missionaria Protectiva who go who basically infiltrate the planet and spread a bunch of rumors that make them think that Paul Atreides is going to be their the guy they're looking for. So like their savior and the one who will help them turn Arrakis from an inhospitable planet to a planet where people can live and there's more water from melting the polar ice gaps. And one weird thing about that, right, is that like the way the Missionaria Protectiva is described is that it's like an entirely cynical, it's like, look, we'll just spread some like myth shit. And then if a Bedney Jesuit ever gets stranded here, they can like, oh, like, yes, I'm, I'm the one that, so it's not, it's not actually to like prepare the way for Paul. It's then like Paul becomes that, like he arrives and he actually is this sort of prophecy that was not a prophecy. It was like entirely cynical bullshit, you know, which is that's, that's weird. Like, how that that kind of slippage between like you know purely kind of cynical political manipulation of religion into actual like what seems like a religious prophecy being fulfilled like that is very strange to me you know it's hella weird and also so it seems like what happens is what they what they are doing all over the place is trying to make sure that the Kwisatz Haderach their guy is not gonna get fucked up by anybody Right. right 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 Gotcha. So, so, it, so it, it actually is there to protect someone like Paul. It's just that, that yeah, that, 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 that Paul is, is the one or whatever. That's not something that the, the Betty Jesser had actually like intended or, or knew was happening or something like that. Yeah. They didn't plan that part because I didn't say this, but the whole deal is that uh, the Harkonnens and the Atreides are related. So right, yeah. they're, so Jessica's father is, is, uh, the Bar- Baron Harkonnen. Yeah. And that that's really an important point too, because like the, the like the fascist like reading of this, which is that it's like, ooh, like the bloodline that will save us is like, no, like the book makes clear, like that's nonsense. <laughs> like there is no like, you know, like pure blood. Like that's just, yeah, anyway. And and also like who like, yeah, because that's unknown that the Baron was actually like the grandfather. Yep. Nobody knows it, but when Paul gets his like when he does the spice yeah. he starts starts to sort of figure figure it out right. he's like haven't you seen his face the bones all of them they're <laughs> the same he's he's grandpa yeah um back to paul and jessica there with the fremen uh jessica they're like you can fight real good and cool you should learn us how to do it do and we'll also weirdo stuff we'll fight weird weird combat. weirding way it's the weirding, weirding way, way. <laughs> weirding way and they're also doing at the same time they're doing bananas ass feats of battle like they're just killing a million unkillable soldiers the emperor has these guys I, we don't have to get into it but Jessica secures her place among them by becoming one of their reverend mothers by horking down a buttload of spice kind of it's it's from a it's from it's the it's the pukes the guts of puke of a dying sandworm and what she used to <laughs> do is change the poison into into the into the water of life yeah so anyway she does this while she's pregnant and she fucks up her kid alia who's like fucked up from 
getting a taste of every human consciousness ever while in utero. <laughs> yeah. And later in the uh, book, she like runs around in one of the tiny black robes of the Bene Gesserit and does like, and, and visually it's like amazing yeah, in my yeah. mind. And the other thing to know is that uh, in terms of characters, right? Paul meets Chaney, who's, who's his side piece, who's also his main chick, but they can't get married <laughs> because Paul has to become galactic emperor after they unseat the current one, Shaddam the Fourth. He's bad, folks. He's a prison planet where the Sardaukar come from, his aforementioned army of uh, psychos. Yes. It's basically like if you don't die, there's like a, there's a Gurney, uh, Gurney Halleck, who's the guy who, who sings and kills people all yeah. the time. He's a Sir, 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 Pat, Sir Pat Stew in the, in the film. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, Sir Pat Stew. That's like his backstory too, yeah. is he, he survived for 10 years on the, on the prison planet anyway. And has a great so, who's on first moment with Stilgar. Like, <laughs> yeah, yes, forever. Nine tenths of the way through yeah. Yep, Stil- Stilgar is the is the Fremen leader. So they live in Sietches, they're called, and each one there's like a bunch of them all over the planet. And Stilgar is the is the leader, and it's a sort of a power struggle between him and Paul. And okay, so back to back to what's going on in the like the not in the desert areas of Arrakis. And but also kind of the Harkonnens go nuts and start what they call a pogrom and they kill a lot of the Fremen, but not as many as they think. They're always guessing about how many Fremen there are. And Baron Harkonnen is like, there's six or seven and we killed (laughs) killed them all. And then and then through fear, Hawat, who was the Atreides meant at that. I won't even. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, there's a lot of subplots that you just got to move through, man. You know, you got to move through. But he's like, "How many do you think there are? You've been telling your dumbass nephew to oppress and kill them, and have you looked at how many people are just getting their heads chopped off and dying? There's been like a million of them. You know, there can't be a couple thousand. There's. <laughs> he's like, there's ten million of these people. Yeah. Like, there's ten million of them on the planet. Yeah. And that's a big surprise, much like everything to the Baron. We're getting to the end. The whole point of all this palace, all the palace intrigue stuff with all the royal families is who gets to control the spice production. And Paul, to become emperor, he essentially says, I'm going to blow up all of the spice production. Like, I'm going to basically, I'm going to make it too wet and we can't have it. And because you, you can't have it, sandworms die in the wetness. Do with that what you will. And we have and, a, uh, a little atomic energy moment that's hard for me to parse, but that's in there, right? Yeah, all of the ha- all of the major houses have atomics, yeah. and you're like really sincerely not allowed to use them in the world of Dune, and also on Arrakis, like every so everything is based on physical combat so they have devised these shields to accommodate it but if you they're also laser guns laser guns and you can essentially cause a nuclear explosion if you hit one of the shields with the laser guns so um there are lots of reasons why it's not allowed and anyway so end of the book huge sandstorm paul comes out of hiding 
Uh, his sister's been captured by the emperor, and Alia kills the Baron with <laughs> with the Atreides Gum Chapar. Yeah. And the way to consolidate power is that Paul is going to marry the space emperor's daughter who tristan would you like to give your account of yeah she's she's space megan mccain and a princess irulan uh played by virginia madsen who must have been like two years oh, old man. in the 84 part. no i think she i think she's probably like in her early 20s but uh she yeah, was yeah yeah like no uh and be, the why i say that she's the space megan mccain is, is like uh, she like she's supposed to be in the you know after the events of this book like the kind of historian of all this so we get all these epigraphs from her and every time she mentions her father which is constantly she's like <laughs> My father, the Padishah Emperor Shaddam the Fourth, like, oh yeah, Space Megan McCain, yeah. But anyway, so yes, Alia kills the Baron. Paul marries Space Megan McCain <laughs> to consolidate power, and he's like, "But Princess Erlon, I'll never fuck you. I'll, yeah. o- I'm only gonna fuck Janie. Yeah. I'll never fuck you, and I hope you like to write your read your stupid books because I'm uh, <laughs> never fucking you. So <laughs> suck on that, and." Anyway, he's the literal emperor of the universe. So, and also this doesn't even begin to scratch the surface. I left so much out. And I hope you're whatever amount of confused you wanted to be after the summary. Yeah. No. And, and I, yeah, in terms of that, like the ton of stuff, you know, I, I mean, I'm a, I am a Star Trek dork. I, I love Star Trek. I love a lot of dork shit. I had to say, like, this is definitely written for dork culture because of, like, the insane levels of, like, rules and like, vocabulary you have to develop. Like, this is this is definitely pitched to an audience, one that I am very familiar with and have a lot of affection for, even though this is not my specific dork bag. <laughs> I actually, like, I know, Katie, you're going to get to this in the context stuff, but, like, something that I really do love like is that this book molds itself into different fan cultures over time right so it's like gets taken up differently and that is really interesting genuinely i'm not being sarcastic but star trek always has the same excellent politics so it's like yeah for um (laughs) different kind of dork not not actually necessarily a different kind of dork but it has a different genealogy i guess is yeah yeah i think this uh i'm mildly surprised that i'm a that i've become a dune nerd somehow that was not where i saw my life going (laughs) no but i mean i do like again there there one reasons why this book is fun like and which you said katie is that it it is kind of uh, eminently dunkable but like i do like there is actually a lot of cool conceptual shit here which is part of why it pisses me off so much because it's like no like t- tell us more about the fucking ecology like do interesting stuff with the political critique and not anyway but yeah or an economy that's based entirely on a commodity that you like rape from the earth yes and and that and that like mercantilism like comes back yeah. in the future which i mean honestly the, with the kind of consolidation of monopolies under late capital it's like i can buy that you know like there's a lot of, yeah so he plays with it in interesting ways. When there's the final showdown, they don't raise the Imperial flag. They raise the Chome Corporation flag. Yes, yes. It's not like this book is just a total ding-dongy mess. It's no. actually, th- there is the stuff you're looking for 
there's a lot of dumb shit too. No, definitely. Well, and and that thing too with the Racy the Job Company flag. Um, that why I, my joke about this being the the uh, the East India Company rules uh, the the Node universe. No, it's like because like with the feudal like the the feudal houses like the Ladstrad right, and then this emperor. It's like whoa, like whoa. The contention is that humanity went kind of so far off the rails we descended back into feudalism, and it's like no, but actually the important power remains like the production of this commodity and like the kind of monopoly like the emperor looks all powerful he's not and there, there's the, these houses that are kind of competing competing for command of resources but it really is like spice and the chome corporation that is the actual power behind the, the uh, you know the universe like empire and emperor get sort of like Yes, like pulled apart. Yeah, cleaved from right. each other. Yes, yes, absolutely. And and the that the the emperor is like more than a figurehead, but like he's not like kind of coterminous with this thing that he's supposed to rule at right, all. Right, right. The idea is that the reason why you want to be the emperor is not just to be the emperor; it's so you can also be the CEO of Amazon. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Yeah, right. That's right. That's right. That's where the juice is, and so part of the 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 major houses and whatever the shit is like power is delicately balanced between the emperor and the houses so he can't he can't directly wipe any of them out because then the rest would band together and wipe him out right right yeah yeah so like these are always the it's not like all powerful galactic emperor until later books that we won't talk about until the end for a minute but for context Okay, so believe it or not, this this started out as serialized in a magazine, and yeah, and over like nine hundred years. No, just kidding, only two. Um, Was it like little Dorrit hours where people were like waiting at the docks for new editions of (laughs) Dune, new new uh, yeah, new Dunes, new serials of Dune, and then there were some mini mini books, but. Frank Herbert was always super interested in uh, in ecology, and he became really active in the environmental movement. And he was like really scared of what we were doing to like fucking up the soil. Mm-hmm. He was a huge crank, as we've mentioned, hence <laughs> the libertarian bullshit. But he was not a complete psycho. He was just an incoherent weirdo with a lot of bad and ill-conceived opinions. <laughs> He'd been great on Reddit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. He really hated JFK and he worked for a bunch of Republicans in various capacities because he had this idea about charismatic leaders being the bane of human existence and he's like Republicans are weird and uggo and they want to get rid of government. <laughs> no one's going to like this. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> the the only nice thing I would ever say about some libertarians, not the ones who were like just, you know, out and out like open racist, is that like that okay, skepticism towards authority, like that's good. The yeah. problem is when you have no material analysis in how <laughs> shit works, you think dumb stuff that inherently tends towards racism and you know, and and just like, oh, like let's yeah, yeah, skepticism towards authority, except let's just let capital run everything, you know. Yeah. But like and also a psychotically cynical view of human nature where like the solution to the problem is arm yourself to the teeth because yeah, yeah, yeah. left to their own devices people will come into your house and take all your food 
it's like what what yes. it's like the pejorative version of use of the term anarchy, which has nothing to do with like actual political anarchism. Like that's basically what it is, which is like we all let's all live in like the most like grotesque Hobbesian state of nature, you know? <laughs> right. This idea that like if one of us were like if if most almost all people were like released from the confines of the state that what we would do is like do murder and and that, that, that yeah. that's good yeah, that, <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. like, just because so. you want to do that doesn't mean everybody <laughs> does would do that yeah so yeah frank herbert doesn't fall into that category of psycho he actually does if he hadn't i this is my true belief if he had not had such a bug up his ass about the soviet union that he would have gotten su- bernie would have won <laughs> um but he was related to joseph mccarthy (laughs) but oh before i before that part he had this whacked out idea about uh, a rotating council of 13 randos who should run the government (laughs) and so somebody was interviewing about it and he was like well what the interviewer was like well what do you do when like a housewife with a rolling pin says (laughs) no 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 and he's like she could figure it out like as good as any of these people so calm, like what you think that's gonna be worse calm down so i think he might have been onto something there and he was asked about who when asked about who he voted for he just said against anyone who's currently in office oh yeah that, yeah that's the- so that yeah. so that was his voting strategy yeah not a not a soviet union fan as i mentioned but was also like cousin joe mccarthy your hearings are some bullshit. And what are we doing in Vietnam, dumbasses? Worst president, JFK. Best president, Nixon. Because he demonstrated that the president is bad. <laughs> yeah, he no crank. Crank is what he is. He's yeah, like a weird yeah, yeah, combo yeah. of like an, a, like an accelerationist. Like I could even see some like anarcho like syndicalist tendencies there, but he's too <laughs> like dumb to like follow them through to anywhere. And because so, it like, can't have a material analysis. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> oh man. So the last thing I'll say is a little on Dooning Contemporary Consciousness. It's been referred to as the alt-right's favorite novel in an L.A. review of books piece by Jordan S. Carroll that I'll read a little bit more of. But there is a bunch of crap in Dune that often gets misread. I think we'll talk about some of that some more. But the main thing is the race consciousness part, which is the human race But I'll read what Jordan Carroll says because I think it's good and it like gives a taste of the book too. Quote, even the alt-right's favorite novel does not seem to support their misreadings. Herbert's book is often deeply conservative, but by the fascist's own admission, it presents a syncretic version of the future in which cultures, populations have clearly mingled over time. Paul's army of desert gorillas, the Fremen, clearly owe something to Arabic and Islamic cultures, and Paul's own genealogy defies the fascist demand for racial purity. The alt-right has tried to wrestle Islamophobic and anti-Semitic messages from the book, but they are stymied by its refusal to map existing ethnic categories on to the characters. And there's also the thing about the chosen one, and again, uh, what Jordan Carroll says is fascist commentators overlooked their long-awaited sovereign Paul begins the series as a tragic character but ends as a grotesque one. As Paul becomes the guidance mechanism for a vast social system, he loses touch with humanity. 
I think that like we can pretty quickly dispense with the way that and, and also like uh wow like shocking revelation that fascists are bad at reading stuff you know like I mean they're, you know that they're all they're, you know I mean it's it's like it's the it's the ideology of the absolute like abject dumbass of of, of humanity um but I think we can dispense with that pretty quickly in that like as we are well one like yeah Paul gets creepier and creepier throughout the book but like when they're like right before the final battle there's these two like really striking lines one is uh so this is a this is a quote from space megan mccain from Arrakis <laughs> awakening by the princess Irulan. and she says in the moment of his triumph maudib paul that is, 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 is his fremen name he saw the death prepared for him yet he accepted the treachery can you say he did this out of a sense of justice whose justice then remember we speak now of the maudib who ordered battle drums made from his enemy's skins the maudib who denied the conventions of his ducal past with a wave of the hand saying merely i am the quizat's hatterack that is reason enough and then like a couple pages later so that you know that's from this you know like a, a fictional history that's written right it, the actual like well, actual quote unquote dialogue between gurney halleck and, and paul so basically paul's like oh yeah like a lot of people are about to die but whatever it's fine and gurney and so he says it, and so paul says like no, nothing money won't repair i presume in terms of what's going to get damaged and uh, and then we have except for the lives my lord gurney said and there was a tone of reproach in his voice as though to say when did an atreides worry first about things when people were at stake so it's like at the moment of his becoming the supreme leader it's like we are seeing the moral collapse of this person and i think that that like the idea that the book is in any way endorsing that i think is pretty hard to sustain particularly through the last like 100 pages or so you know and i think the crank ishness sort of like this is not something that can be read as politically coherent and doing that is just like want you know you want it to be fashion so it looks fash through the keyhole of fash right right but that's not how we do books no and and, and i think you're right <laughs> the, the the crankishness the 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 incoherence of it does sort of invite a like choose your own adventure reading but like i mean i i think it's pretty clear that like herbert's intention is not that you come away it's like yes paul like ultimate badass you know <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. He did the cool genocide. Yeah, he did the cool space. genocide. Yeah, like this takes us into the next book, but it it also has to do a little bit with the the race consciousness thing. So Paul is able to do some of the stuff from the Bene Gesserit legends, but he's absurdly not the chosen one. Like the Fremen like him because they think that he's their guy because the Bene Gesserit have kind of said that he is, and he can. His seeing in time and space, it, like all these possible futures, he a lot of them he's dead in. He's just like dead as hell, dead as every dead guy. In the following books, you can you can tell this sort of from from the way he starts to get at the end of this one, but he winds up his story winds up ending like he pussies out of the really hard part of doing his grand plan and makes his son become the giant worm emperor because he didn't want to do that shit because you have to give up your dick and it's a sacrifice. <laughs> There's this moment where it's like, uh, he felt himself touched briefly by his powers of prescience, seeing himself infected by the wild race consciousness that was seeing the human universe, moving the human universe toward chaos. And so this like happens a lot with his sort of, your exact. Th this is, I think, Katie, one of the moments that you're pointing to, yeah? Yeah, most definitely. And 
the point of it is that nobody should be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Like no one should be able to see all of the possible futures of humanity because it will fuck things up when you try to try to control too hard. Like try to like Paul and trying to prevent the jihad makes it enormous. And the whole idea is basically like you have to read 12 books to get to it. But the whole point is to make a version of the future where you can't do that. Like you don't have the prescient vision. So that is, that's interesting then in how we want to think about what the book is doing with a sort of ecological problem because Right, like okay, so so we get so there's there's these in appendices as we mentioned, like there about a hundred pages of appendices afterwards. One of which is this like other story about the you know ecology, right? And so Kynes, who's a character in the book, he's like the planet, yeah, he's the planetologist. His dad was also the planetologist. His dad's the one who's like, oh shit, like there's actually a lot of water in the atmosphere here, and you know what? Like if we did the took these steps, like we could over a few centuries like turn this into like a water planet, and he gets the Fremen on like he does this like weird like basically like the Fremen are about to kill him and he just completely ignores that and they're like oh this guy seems crazy enough we should probably listen to him but like he 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 gives them this like set you know centuries long plan of how to fix you know fix the planet and like it's 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 a collective endeavor like everyone's got to be on board with this it does depend on like quote quote like seeing the future in some way like if with like a scientific way right I mean, one thing I wanted to say was like the way this this ends was um, the, the the course had been set by time. The ecological Fremen were aimed along the way. Liet Kynes had only to watch and nudge and spy upon the Harkonnens until the day his planet was afflicted by a hero. Okay, so Paul, this asshole, right? Like this coming autocrat, genocidal maniac upsets it all. But like what you're saying, Katie, about the, the like uh, Herbert's skepticism of anything like, uh, you know, kind of future, a grand sort of future orientation or like a vision on that scale, it seems to work against that. But also like the, the libertarian impulse to like any kind of collectivism is bad. Mm-hmm. It makes me think like, so what the fuck is the ecology doing, right? Like, because there's no way to do what Kynes wants to do without some sort of shared vision, which the book is very resisted to even though like yeah i mean i know like uh what like this this was like praised by whole earth catalog and and herbert was like into ecology and he so it's like okay all right dude what the hell do you think this other like aspect of your plot at thebes is doing you know that that's why i'm like not kidding that i think that he was just so pissed at the dang government that like (laughs) you know what i mean like that was the thing and that this sincerely held idea about needing to protect the environment and doing so as a collective. I don't, that's, I don't think that's bullshit or like it's incongruous with some of the other elements of the plot, but it isn't antithetical to it necessarily. And is that because Because it's based on like a guy's sort of what the book conceives as being a sort of like evidence-based plan and not a state mandated plan. That's a really good question. I do think that it's because Mm. it's not for power. It is for the collective good of the people on the planet. Like that that's okay that that's okay. Like we can get together on that type of shit. But the type of shit we shouldn't be getting together on is following the Avengers (laughs) to a bloody and brutal death. That yeah, I mean I I think it's we're back to like it 
what we're seeing is ideological incoherence. You know what I mean? That yeah. It, 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 and, and yeah, like it, it's real. It's and I, okay. Again, I mean, being like, oh, fuck the, fuck the U S government. I mean, yes, like yeah. as, as a red a hundred percent, but I, I think that like the way he wants to conflate or maybe disaggregate that from the concept of political power. It's or like not political power, like, but like the political commons itself is just very slippery. And I think maybe in a way that the book doesn't understand is slippery or something like that, you know, um, especially because it has all these like ideological insertions about like religion is always politics. Right. So it's like yes, really insisting yeah. on, yeah. on the sort of like everything is a politics because like anybody doing bad shit is doing politics. Yeah. Yeah. It is. He does say orthodox religion right. is always politics. Right. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. 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 But wasn't he also like, he was a guy is like, you know, a, a, like Catholic upbringing or something like that. And then at some point he's like, I've gotten really into like Eastern philosophy, man. Wasn't he one God. of those guys? <laughs> like, yeah. Nope. <laughs> exactly. But he's got to just like throw around a bunch of words that sound yeah. that some of them yeah. are like derivations from Hebrew and some from like Farsi yeah. and Arabic. And there's a bunch of Sanskrit in here. And, it's like very mashed up. Yeah, and and that's yes. that's a uh, that's Jordan Carroll's point too that you read, Kate, like right about the, the 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 syncretism, the time scale too. Like that that is one of the I think more interesting aspects of the book. It's like yeah, we have all these like deeply kind of fragmented structures and belief systems in our current world. Well, what would happen if you extrapolated out like twenty thousand years? I bet we're you know I bet you would have a lot of like mishmashes. And I want to like I do think there's like some fairly gross kind of orientalizing tendencies and like how the the yeah. Fremen are described and stuff. But I mean. I I do think that idea of like, yeah, like the kind of syncretism of like kind of a long vision of the human future is, it could be compelling, you know, like it could be compelling. Yeah. And I will say also that it's weird to me that so reading of this is weirdly racist kind of. We're doing a lot of accents in ways that like aren't on the page. Yeah. There's, yeah. I agree. And, I don't think it's like accented on the page, especially because these names are often like portmanteau. Right. Yeah. And they all talk this, they all talk the same amount mm -hmm. of weird. Like mm -hmm. all of the dialogue is equally bad. Like they all talk like no person's ever seen. It's talk. only different when they're doing ceremonial shit and that has nothing to do with like ethnicity, quote, in quotations. Yeah, absolutely. Like the the Benny Gesserit stuff is pretty much on the level with any of the. I mean, the rituals are like almost identical to the ones the Fremen do. Yeah. But the, it does get when it gets adapted and taken up, it starts to look like way different than it is in the goddamn eleven million pages of the yeah. book itself. Katie, because you raised it earlier, like I think for somebody who doesn't who's a non-expert in religion as a literary concept, this feels quite opaque to me. So I just don't know if you have thoughts about ceremony or like, however, like it just feels big. Yeah. It feels big and absolutely like totally like very hard to get your head around. It's the, the shred, the shrouding in mystery is, is like, <laughs> Like, it's there for the reader, too. We all get to experience it. Yeah. The whole plot is driven by, essentially, a bunch of nuns who can do magic. Right. And, 
that gets us into a lot of interesting territory because they're virtually they're in a cult basically like they're called they're called witches they can do a bunch of weird stuff and what they do with it is is like try to make a chosen one by saying like you fuck your uncle you you don't know he's your grandpa (laughs) right yeah Yeah. and that they're like that they're super that they're like these super powerful beings (laughs) because of their training and shit but also they don't know like they don't know what's going on it it goes off the rails for them real bad and they're mainly they're just mainly manipulating and being manipulated there's not a ton of good religion here but there's all religion yeah, and and uh, I, I another one. Yeah, I mean, so I, I went I went hardcore dork and read all of the appendices. Right, there's this thing that's referred to throughout as the Orange Catholic Bible. Oh, which, oh yeah, yeah. I really, the, 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 the OC Bible. The OC Bible. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and it turns out like sometime around the Butlerian Jihad, so ten thousand years in the past, basically like <laughs> they did this this big like moment of kind of ecumenicism or something like that, where it was like okay, like essentially all religions are after the same stuff. Let's get, let's get the Buddhists and the Hindus and the Christians and the Jews and the Muslims and the Jadis and everyone together. Let's just write one book. That's going to cover this. And they actually do produce this, this thing, which is quoted in the main text, but then it turns out, but like, Right after that, like a lot of the delegates who were sent to it were like assassinated. (laughs) So so it's like, so, so right. So it's like, on the one hand, it's like, it's gesturing towards this idea that like, yeah, I mean, all religion is kind of after like, you know, a certain kind of set of roughly overlapping values, but then also like human sort of insularity or something is always going to like come up. And, 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 and and so, but like how the Betty Jesuits fit into that is interesting because there is like this deep seated, like cynicism, right? And that, like the missionary protectiva and stuff like that, like really using religion for this kind of political end. But you're right, Katie, they are also this like cult and like they do certainly believe their own shit to some degree, but what it is that they believe that they're doing is kind you know, like, okay, the Kwisatz Satirak, but like, what does that even fucking mean? What is the goal of this, you know? We got some cool Rasputin shit going on in here. It's very Rasputin <laughs> shit, except 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 you know that uh, like uh, the hot 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 ladies, not you know. <laughs> it seems slightly less sex culty too. <laughs> There's one scene where one of the fa- the success fail nephew Fade Ralph, uh, Count Fennering's Benny Jesuit wife is like, yeah, I'm gonna fuck him, get his jeans. Yeah. That's, oh, that's what I'll true. do. Yeah. Um, but there's also this thing about the Fremen also, which is that they're, uh, they're Zen, they're Zen Sunni wanderers. Yeah. Is, yeah. Is the thing about them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we also, I think there's like a Bedouin injection there. Yeah. Yes. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. But these to me add up to religion broadly and not an allegorical project right like that's not how i take it i think i take it as like religion pushed together and that's like megan mccain that's there's the (laughs) moment where she says like you cannot 
she okay so like she introduces every chapter because like if you don't know how to read a book she's gonna tell you how to read a book (laughs) and to be be fair this is what walter scott does with all of his chapters too so (laughs) and it's actually it's sort of it's sort of sick when you get to the end and meet her like you haven't like you really haven't met her Yeah, yeah, yeah It's cool. Um, she says, like, you cannot avoid the interplay of politics within an orthodox religion. Um, the power struggle permeates the training, educating, and disciplining of the orthodox community. Because of this pressure, the leaders of such a community inevitably must must face that ultimate internal question to succumb to complete opportunism as the price of maintaining their rule or risk sacrificing themselves for the sake of the orthodox ethic and this is she's she's apparently wrote like a shitload of books oh yeah yeah but this is from muadim the religious issues and maybe that's an essay it's in quotation marks but i i take that as you said katie as being about like orthodoxy about religion the category more than about like this is not a this is not a catholic or a muslim like that would make no sense no yet in the novel it doesn't matter like it doesn't matter if it's the benny Gesserit who are gonna have to turn the screws or lose power or if it's the fremen who are or paul like it doesn't matter who they're it's gonna come a point where there's too much pressure. Yeah, like there's too much pressure in the system. Yeah, and and right, and that and that it all also does tend back towards orthodoxy, like of a various kind, right? Like that that moment that that you talked about, where uh, you know the Fremen have this practice where like you become the sort of like leader of the group by killing the other leader, and and Paul's like, this is dumb, we're going to stop this. But but then like what that gets replaced by is like we're going to stop this, and then you're going to worship me as like the fucking supreme like eugenicist leader, you know? So it's so anytime you like that sort of like kind of fun or like okay so we can like adjust the sort of like belief system right but that doesn't actually you know we we just keep going back into those kind of those kind of patterns or something like that like yeah you could in fact sort of reduce almost anybody in the book to religious zealot yeah or or like a power mad psycho but those are the those are the two types the like those are those are the two right right yeah, because it is all about the source of power, like some like what what you think the source of power is and how you think you're going to get it. Whether yeah. and this is the this is the binary you're arguing that Meghan McCain produces in this sort of like <laughs> introductory moment, right? I mean, that's what she says yeah. essentially is that like you either succumb to opportunism or you have to like maintain orthodoxy. I was I was actually just laughing because you called her Megan McCain. Yeah. Um but I <laughs> but I think I think you're uh, I think you're right. I think that I'm doing pretty um, well with remembering like at least 10 names. Yeah. I swear to god, I have probably <laughs> yeah. 10. Yeah. And then at a certain point I was like fuck that. Yeah. I guess my analogy with Megan McCain somewhat fails too because can you imagine Megan McCain like right, like you know doing the labor writing? writing? Um, and it's also explicitly because she's so horny that she just has to write a bunch because she can't fuck Paul. <laughs> right, 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 right. Because Paul is only going to fuck Chani, and that that's that's like this book's weird relationship to concubinism. As it as it you know, because the Duke can't marry Jessica because he has to be like open season for potential princesses. Yeah, and the only guy who 
mayor who like can marry the Benny Gesserit is referred to he's the Count Fennering who's referred to as a genetic eunuch. Right. <laughs> so that's why he like he can get mar- he can get married to the the Benny Gesserit lady right. who doesn't know where she none of the Benny Gesserits know their parentage because they might have to fuck their cousin. Like that's what they say. Right. Right. I guess the only way to put a put a fucking pin in Dune is to say that it is maybe the most mind-bending book you can possibly read. You might hate it and find it annoying, but it has so much shit in it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you are forced to think about religion and politics mm-hmm. and gender and all of these things, if only to think against them. And I, that's as good a reason as any to read an 800-page space opera. <laughs> I am going to stay mad. I just want to, but but <laughs> I agree that like, if even if st- staying mad is still an engagement, right? It's not like putting it mm-hmm. putting it down and just walking away without any without yeah. a care in the world. Yeah, and and I yeah. stay, you know, and like I stay mad again because I like there there is so much stuff here that I think is like a really interesting concept, and it just I want the book to do different things with them. But yeah, like that, you know, that is that is certainly engagement for sure. You know, I was mad about <laughs> it, but I rode the worm. Let's play a game. Let's play a game. Let's play a game. This game is called Do You Want to Know? So I'm going to give you some scenarios and I'm going to tell you whether you want to know or not. But the way that we'll score is if you're if you're correct in not wanting to know okay. or, or correct in wanting to know. Okay. The first question is, okay, so we all remember Duncan Idaho. The... <laughs> What a uh, name. Some of these names are, mis- are again, it's like incoherent, right? So you can't be like, oh, that's the guy who whatever. And it's like, no, yeah. fuck that. You can't yeah. do that. It's just Duncan Idaho, the hot guy. Okay. So Duncan Idaho in in God Emperor of Dune, where many of these delightful little episodes are taken from, defeats a large, a large contingent of fish speakers <laughs> and and face dancers. And you don't need to know what that is. But <laughs> Do you want to know how he does this? Absolutely, I want to know how a face dancer does. Okay. Um. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not horrified by this. Maybe I should be, but yeah, I want to know. I'll tell you how. So, what happens is that he gets naked into it, and that's. And that's how he does it. So the emperor is looking for his uniform. And he says, there was not one such uniform standing. Not one. Leto put down a surge of frustration. Then saw a clutch of spit of fish speaker guards among the courtiers and a naked figure there. Naked. It was Duncan. Naked. Of course. <laughs> Duncan Idaho without a uniform was not a face dancer. <laughs> Again, laughter shook him. Surprises on both sides. What a shock that must have been to the attackers. Obviously, they had not prepared themselves for such a response. Wow, he's really explaining <laughs> yeah, yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad. He's naked. Glad to know it. You he's... know how I feel about buns. Yeah. Yes, buns. Glad to know it. We, and I'm glad you both picked yes on this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad we know that. <laughs> yeah. 
I feel like you really made the right call there. You both get points for this. So do you want to know how, if you are riding a giant sandworm through the desert and haven't properly fastened your still suit, how you might be able to survive? No, it involves drinking pee. I mean, I know in your still suit you are already drinking pee, but it doesn't taste like pee. Right. <laughs> right. And how do you survive without this? Yeah. Yeah. It's got, it's drink. There's no other way. There's no water. You got to be drinking pee. I was going to say blood. Like you use a big high sea straw to like poke it into the blood. If we follow yeah. Tristan, the bladder, or if we follow yeah. me, a vein. Okay. You're very much on the right track. You got to get it. You got to get it wet. And I'll, tell you uh, now i will <laughs> these were the the bladder and the veins were good this is terrible <laughs> you will give me water if i ask it's not just water she nodded okay this is a la- this is a lady we got the big worm emperor and what he says is these little curled flaps beside my face he said tease one of them gently with a finger and it will give up drops of moisture heavily laden with spice essence. Yeah. A finger came up and touched one of the curled flaps of his cowl. Stroke it gently, he said. Ew. I didn't want to know, and I hate it. So, <laughs> we didn't even get into this this episode, but uh, uh, one, of the pre- one of the recent episodes when we were talking about doing Dune, Katie, you had said that there is some debate as to whether spice is worm poop or worm jizz. And it seems quite apparent that it's the latter, uh, right? <laughs> I I don't disagree with you. I feel like we're you know the the spice contains it, it is all things to all people, but yeah. it feels a little <laughs> like sweat to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yicky. Here's the last question. Okay, is it about fondling somebody's flaps? No flaps to be fondled. So do you want to know what the worm emperor brainstorms to compensate for his um, lack of ding dong? (laughs) More or less, how do you solve the problem of people coming into your worm chamber, your worm emperor chamber, and kind of like casting sidelong glances to see if you have a dick? (laughs) Well, this right. But, uh, you know, I... this is uh, <laughs> this is quite Freudian, I think, right? Lacanian, maybe. That the worm, I mean, right? So I, the worm, I don't think has worms don't have dicks, but yet, like you know, they're massive and long and cylindrical. So like they, ha- he's like become the phallus rather than like you know, right? Yeah. I think that that is like the most compelling reading. Is like I am, I am the, I am the name of the father. Right. Yeah. I'm the phallus. Yeah. <laughs> also can't if it's a worm in our sort of like you know earthly earthwormy bo- brains can't you just cut him in half and then he's all things to all worms <laughs> that's actually what happens at the end of god emperor dune uh, he becomes um he he like gets I'm cut into amazing. A yeah like no yes you fucking these books See, get I spoiler alert read it Here's what actually happens. Your idea was better, which is like, look for a dick. I am the dick. But um, <laughs> so 
more members Ding Dong, Idaho darted a quick glance along Leto's supine length. They always look for genitalia, Leto thought. Perhaps I should have something made, a gross protuberance to shock them. He choked the small burst of amusement, which threatened to erupt from his throat. Silly dildo. Yeah, it wasn't right. So <laughs> the, 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 the he worm, thinks it's silly. I am not. Being the worm a emperor decides that a strap on is now part of his royal regalia. Yeah, to do a prank. <laughs> to do a prank. Silly dildo. Yes. Okay. Yes. I, you know, I like I yes. When I was a kid, I, I you know, so I read this one. Then I read the first like five pages of the follow up. It's like I I yeah, I think I'm bored with this. I'm glad. I'm glad I made that decision to not press for it's the second the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe book. You're like, no, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no one's eating any candy in these. I'm not reading any more of the C.S. Lewis. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Um, C.S. Lewis has. His own problems, as we know. Yes, (laughs) many of them. I think that we all, we all won and we all lost today (laughs) here. Because now we know. Yeah. Because now you know. Now you know. But you don't know, you don't know the whole rundown of the Worm Emperor's body. And I think that's for the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm fine. With I that. have no regrets about knowing what I know now, but I understand that I might have had regrets. Yeah. Uh, okay. Thanks. Uh, this has been Better Red Than Dead. You can find me on Twitter at Tesslersaurus, Tristan at TJ Schweiger, Katie at Katie Crywo. You can find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Better Red Pod, and email us at betterredpodcast at gmail.com. And forgive me for this, but it must be an auto record audio recording of the way you pronounce water. And if it's similar to Katie's, because it amuses me every time. What water? What are you talking about? Yeah. 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 Water. That's what I said. Yeah. Uh, our intro music is left Bronstein by the Redskins and used with their permission. Our logo was created by Jane Bonsack of JB Design and Content. Please rate and review and subscribe. Next week, we have The Great Gatsby. How have we avoided it thus far? And then Silas Marner on deck after that. So thanks, comrades. 